Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. We're on the eve of season two of Apple TV's smash hit, Ted Lasso, Dropping. This series has won multiple awards while charming an ever-growing audience. One physician has found key leadership lessons woven into Ted Lasso. In this episode, we dig into characteristics of leaders viewed through the lens of the series, Ted Lasso. Prepare to learn while being culturally aware. Let's begin. My guest today is Dr. Gary Schwartz. He's a practicing ophthalmologist in Stillwater, Minnesota, and is president of the Associated Eye Care and co-chair and executive medical director of Associated Eye Care Partners. Dr. Schwartz, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we're going to be talking about Ted Lasso. For those unfamiliar, could you give me a plot summary? Sure. So Ted Lasso was a a show that season one aired on uh, Apple TV a couple of years ago. Um, Season two airs uh, this Friday. So we're recording this prior to the dropping of season two, but I think the show will air after season two has dropped. Um, It's uh, Ted Lasso is an American college level football coach who um, for reasons that, that, uh, or kind of plot devices, he ends up getting uh, taking a job in England and becoming a Premier League soccer coach um, in England. And it just kind of follows his story of a kind of a fish out of water story of someone who goes from college level to the highest professional level and goes from uh, American football to European football or soccer. Very nice. Now, maybe we should just get this out in the open right now. Would would Ted Lasso be a good physician or is he lacking some skills critical to being <laughs> so, a, a physician? So the, I mean, the audience for this is mostly physician leaders. So the, you know, the question is, would Ted Lasso make a good physician? Would you make a good leader? His skill set is um, mostly in leadership. He's really, he, he's, he's a leader of men. He's a coach of a team. Uh, who values development of his players above all else. Um, he would not make a good physician um, because his his weaknesses are the fundamental facts. I mean, what's part of the joke of the show is he's coaching this soccer team, but he really doesn't know a lot about soccer. He's coaching in England and he doesn't know a lot about England. Um, so, you know, to be a physician, you have to have some sort of skill set to to be able to to diagnose and manage and treat and and that's where he would he would fall short. So although he makes a a great leader, uh, he wouldn't necessarily make a great physician. Lacking in clinical skills, shall we say? Yeah. Um, <laughs> now think? you you've written a great article that um, through analysis and, and insight you've been able to derive ten leadership lessons from Ted Lasso. The first uh, is the importance of, of culture. And how does the series convey this culture? And maybe you can talk a little bit about that as it might apply to, to healthcare. Sure. So let me start off by saying, I mean, the, the article that we're, we're kind of referring to. So um, 
kind of for something to do this winter while we were all kind of shut in, um, I'd watched the show Ted Lasso and had made some connections that, you know, there's some really interesting leadership lessons in here. So I just kind of wrote this fun, started off as just kind of a fun, you know, one or two page throwaway thing that turned out to be a seven or eight page thing. And I just, I posted it on my LinkedIn page just for fun. Um, and then uh, I, when I joined the AAPL, I posted it there as well. And it just kind of got some notice. So here we are talking about it. Um, so the, the question of, of culture. Um, so the, there's 10 leadership lessons that I've called from the series. And it's in this article that I wrote. And one of them is, you know, culture is, is central to everything. And the, the way we see culture play out in the show is, is fundamentally in the locker room and on the practice field and how the, how the players treat one another and how the players treat um, this character, Nathan, who's the kit man, who's kind of a low level, like the guy who does the laundry and make sure the lockers are stocked up and things like that. Um, and just episode one, um, the Ted Lasso character played by Jason Sudeikis, he, he can see in the locker room that there's trouble. There's different camps. There's um, um, the leader of the team, the team captain, who's the former leader of the team, this character named Roy Kent. He really kind of sits back and, and is complicit in bad behavior because he doesn't step in to stop it. There's a uh, an unofficial leader, this kind of star player, this younger player named Jamie Tart who um, he's kind of an informal leader and, and he's kind of a bully and he has a group of followers who are bullies. And um, what Ted Lasso just determines is this is a culture that needs improvement and I'm gonna work to improve this culture. Now, what's interesting is they're not necessarily a losing team. You know, the reason he's brought in isn't to make the team better. The reason he's brought in is this plot device where the new owner of the team is this divorced woman who got the team in a divorce settlement. And she's, she hires Ted Lasso to spite her husband and to have the team lose and being an embarrassment. Um, so they're actually a winning team or they're winning and we don't know how good their record is, but they're winning enough that they stay at the premier league level and premier league soccer in England is different than American sports. Whereas the, the bottom few teams get, relegated and that's a, something that happens during the season um, and which means they, they move down to a lower league and the top few teams of the lower league move up the next season so it's a way to make sure that you don't have these teams that want to have a small payroll and just be worse than mediocre every year which is allowed in american sports and a lot of a lot of sports interesting lesson number two that you that you came up with is you do not have to know everything I have to say that is reassuring to me. Doctor. <laughs> uh, what can you tell us about lesson number two? So um, as far as the Ted Lasso character is concerned, so he, he comes to England from America and he really, he seems to really make very little effort to learn the sport of soccer and to learn uh, English culture in general. So, I mean, there's this kind of repeated joke where he's about to cross the street in England and he looks to the left, which is the way you would look in the United States. And he's about to step off the curb and somebody puts their arm out and stops him because the cars come from the right and not the left in England. Um, he hates tea. There's a kind of another running joke where every time he drinks tea, he in very colorful Jake, Jason Sudeikis way describes what tea tastes like and just cannot believe that the English people really drink this. He kind of thinks it's a joke that the English are playing on him. Um, so he kind of comes into it 
not knowing much about the sport of soccer. But what does he know? He knows how to coach. He knows how to get the best from his players. He knows how to develop young men. He knows how to create a good culture in the locker room. So that's, that's what he does know. And that carries. So the analogy for your AAPL audience is if you are a physician, yeah, you've got to know everything to be a good physician. But if you're a physician leader, things kind of change, right? So let's look at me. I'm, a, I'm an ophthalmologist, and I am the president of a 15-doctor, 160-employee group. That's what I know. That's my space, right? But let's say I get, I get courted away. Let's say some healthcare system or some major hospital says, hey, Gary, you know what? Instead of being the president of a small ophthalmology group, mid-sized ophthalmology group, how would you like to be the, the CMO of our hospital? Or how would you like to be in charge of ambulatory services of our hospital? So many physicians who spend their time as physicians thinking they have to know everything, a job like that would cause analysis paralysis, right? Because you can't learn everything for the new job. So you have to be comfortable with this idea that I don't have to know everything. What carries over, right? Uh, I, I understand how a clinical practice works. I understand ophthalmology, but ENT is probably similar in a lot of ways. Primary care medicine is probably similar in a lot of ways. The similarities probably outweigh the differences. I know how to lead. I've led a, a company of 150 people, so I should be able to lead a department or I should be able to lead a medical staff. So I don't need to know everything about the hospital or everything about all the subspecialties that will be under me in my new position but enough from my current position should carry over that I should succeed. So that's the analogy for the physician leader is, it's not like being a physician. I wouldn't be a good ear, nose and throat doctor. I don't have the education for that, but I might be a good CMO or I might be a good head of clinical services. For what it's worth, you've got my vote. <laughs> I'm not a uh, <laughs> Let Lesson four is one of my favorites. Call people by their name. And it seems to me that uh, this applies in a wide variety of, uh, of arenas, but in healthcare, maybe this is kind of part of the, the art of medicine over the science of medicine. So it's, um, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's a, there's a touchy feeliness toward using people's names. It's, it's definitely the art of building a practice, right? So what do I mean by that? So, when I was still a resident at the University of Minnesota, we used to have this lecture from this kind of older sage ophthalmologist guy, Mac McCannell, who would tell us like some, how to be in practice. You know, you've been a resident, you've been a student, how do you be in practice? And one of the things he told us was, this was in the age of paper charts, right? If a patient, if you learn something about a patient that's interesting, write it on the chart cover. So next time you see them a year later, when you really don't remember them from the 15 minutes of last year, you see this note you jotted down and then you bring it up. So I practice and trained in Minnesota, but I'm from Boston. So any Boston connection at all, if a patient tells me their kid was in Boston, their daughter goes to school in Boston, their son did military service in Boston, I always jot that down. And in our electronic health record, we have a place for that because I set that up. And 
I look, and it works. And I'll, I'll say to them, oh, is your daughter still in Boston? And they'll say, oh my God, Dr. Schwartz, you always remember that. Yeah, she still is. You get out to see her at all. And, it, and if I bump into them in the grocery store, I won't remember that. But if it's in the chart, I remember that. So that's like using people's names. If you make some sort of association to them that's deeper than just, yeah, your eyes look great today, ma'am. You know, your vision is 2020. There's some sort of connection that that's going to make that patient choose to come back to see me next year rather than choose to see the guy who's in this particular office on Tuesdays because that works best in my schedule. And then it works well with staff too, of course. You know, if I have, you know, some staff members that I know that were closely with me and I call them by their names, but I have other staff members that I don't know as well, or they're kind of lower in the pecking order, or they're newer, or they're a less skilled job or something, and I don't call them by their name, then they 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 see that. They say, huh, how come he's calling that employee by her name, but he's not calling me by my name? That makes me feel unvalued. But if I start calling them by their name, that raises in their mind how I value them. It certainly makes them feel less fungible, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, that you're just a widget, but yeah. if you have a name, you individualize it. So I, I yeah. think that's a great, great lesson to, to yeah. derive. Here's another one. Here's another trick. It's if you, you're an attorney in your day job, right? So if you write a letter to somebody, right? A client that you know pretty well, let's say you were writing a letter to me, right? And if it was a formal letter, dear Dr. Schwartz, da, 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 and at the bottom, thank you, sincerely. But picture if instead of just saying thank you, sincerely, you wrote thank you, Gary, sincerely. When I get to the bottom of the letter and I see my name there, I'm like, huh, there's a nice little surprise. Yeah. He's like, he's he's considering me by using my name there, you're you're humanizing that whole letter. And suggesting a degree of intimacy, right? When yeah. it's a first name versus a yeah. dear doctor, dear mister. Exactly. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good lesson. On to number, uh, number six in your list, which is seek input um, from others. How does, how does Lasso do this? So he actually seeks input from a lot of characters throughout the series of all different levels of the organization. Um, and some of it is, uh, coaching decisions, uh, plays, uh, who to start, who to who to um, who to bench, things like that. He will. Um, some of it's personal. How do I deal with this character that's hurting the culture of my locker room? Um, famously, there's one um, there's one character Nathan that we mentioned that um, it, the title that he has is Kit Man. Again, he's kind of the locker room guy um, that. Famously, in the first episode, right at the end of the opening credits of the first episode, he asks Nathan his name. And Nathan's response is, at first he looks at him like he's like he's joking, he doesn't answer. And then Ted Lasso says, what is, what is your name? And, and Nathan's response is, no one's ever asked me my name before. He, he, he picks himself so low on the team's totem pole that it's, it's not even worth knowing his name. And then Ted convinced him, no, I want to know your name. And then he tells him his name. And then he... Um, he learns that Nathan knows a fair amount of soccer. So he'll, he'll, he'll ask him about plays and he asks him to do a pep talk before one of the games and such. And it's things that are way above any of anything that, that, um, that Nathan would ever expect, but all these previous coaches have totally ignored him. And he's, he, he comes to Ted with, with some plays that are some really interesting plays that, that help him because again, Ted really doesn't know much about soccer at the end of the day. Um, 
but for um, but I mean it works. So for me personally, there's you know I'm a I'm an ophthalmologist. I do surgery, and you know we learn a lot of surgery in residency, but you also kind of perfect it over the first you know depending how good you are, two, five, ten, fifteen years of practice. And I remember being in surgery a couple years out, struggling with a certain part of the procedure. And when you're in private practice, you don't really have anyone you can go to. And I remember looking over to the scrub nurse at the time, the scrub nurse, not scrub tech. And I said to her, wow, how do other doctors manage this part? There's got to be an easier way to do it than what I'm trying to do. I said this in the middle of, you know, in the middle of a surgery. I just kind of whispered to us, like, how do other doctors do this? And she said, a lot of doctors will use this. And she handed me an instrument. And I looked at it and I said, and I like, what what do they do with this? And she's like, they kind of like bend it around and say, oh yeah, I'll try it. What the heck? You know, it's not that much different than what I'm doing, but it's different enough. And I tried it, I was like, huh, that is better. And then so this nurse then knew down the road if she saw me struggling with something that I didn't even realize I was struggling with, she could say to me, you know, Dr. So-and-so, he does, he does it a little differently than you. He does this. But by offering her, by, by soliciting that advice the first time, she knew that door was open from then on. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's not often that a scrub nurse or a scrub tech feels empowered to say to a surgeon, you know, I think I know a better way you can do that. But by opening that door early in my career, um, I picked up some things from her that I never would have come up with on my own. Or would have taken you a long time to come up with on your own. Yeah, well, I would have had to, you know, watch videos or go to meetings and kind of figure it out on my own eventually. But by having this relationship where she knew that she could volunteer that type of information to me, you know, it made me a better surgeon at the end of the day, and it it made better, safer surgery for the patients that we were taking care of together. Makes makes a um, a, a lot of sense. You were speaking of of Nathan in the in the series, and your your next lesson number number seven was to to look for diamonds in the in the rough, and that seems to be Nathan. Am I right? Yeah, Nathan is is the proverbial in this series, right? So when we first meet Nathan. He is um, he is is shy. He is feels unvalued, in you know, in a comic way. It's a it's a it's a com- comedy show out there after all. And um, he, but he has tremendous pride. When we first meet him, he's running at Coach Lasso and the other coach, Coach Beard, who have just arrived in the UK, and they're standing on the field on the pitch. And Nathan doesn't know who they are, so he runs at them, saying, "Get off the grass! Get off the grass! Get off the grass!" He is so proud of this grass. You know, and he's not a groundskeeper. He's he's the locker room guy. So it's somebody else's job even. And then when he learns it's them, then he's like, oh my God, I don't know. I'm sorry, you're the new manager. Here, you can go back on the grass. You can go back <laughs> on the grass. And they say, no, no, no. We gotta, show it. We gotta go see the, the president of the company, the president of the team. And so he takes them in there and um, then they have to deal with what's your name and this and that. And so he's 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 a diamond in the rough. He, he has knowledge. He, but it's buried so deep in there because nobody's asked him for it and he's too shy to present it. And so Ted has to, has to gain his trust, has to, has to allow him to, to develop as a, as a character in the show, but as, as a, as a useful, you know, participant of the, of the organization. And, but he kind of like, 
he grooms him. You could episode by episode by episode, he does a little something to to bring him out a little more. It's not just something he does once and then you you have the Nathan character. It's it's if you watch Nathan's development over the 10 series, 10 episode series, you can see each episode there's a little bit more until the final episode where he's he's made coach. It's a surprise ceremony where they have the whole team there, the president, um, the other coaches, and they 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 do this funny thing where they have a new kitman in there. So Nathan thinks he's going to lose his job. And instead they're like, no, 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 we're promoting you to coach. And so now he's part of the coaching staff, which is where he belongs based on his skill set. But without Ted's development over the season, he never would have gotten there. What a, what a nice, nice storyline. Now your lesson number eight, I have to tell <laughs> you on a personal level, I struggle with it, 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 it. Certainly anyone who's a parent will, will relate to this. Lesson number eight, know <laughs> when to get involved and when not to. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, some of these are, you know, they're well known just with different names, right? So, you know, the first one was a culture, you know, we all know Peter Drucker's, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So this is, is don't micromanage, you know, know where you need to be involved and know where not to. So, this is a great scene early in the season where he's trying to affect the culture of the locker room. And the formal leader, Roy Kent, is he's kind of toward the end of his career. And he's kind of, he's a great character. He's the actor who plays in Brett Goldstein. He's one of the writers and he's kind of the he's the showrunner kind of for the series. Great character. He's really angry. He's really repressed. He's really kind of um, this old English soccer player. He's the one person who's won a championship in his career, but now he's kind of on this, on this not winning team and he's on the end of his career. So he's the formal leader. He's the captain of the team. And he watches this informal leader, this young Jamie Tart, who's kind of, um, uh, he's kind of a bully and he's got his own followers in the locker room and they pick on, they they pick on Nathan, the, the, the kit man, and they tease him and they throw, you know, dirty jock straps in his face and things like that. And Roy just kind of shakes his head. and's like, I can't believe these guys get away with it. So he goes to coach and says, cause he knows coach Lasso likes Nathan. And he says, did you see what they're doing to Nathan in there? And, and coach says, I, I do, I see it. And they're like, are you going to do anything about it? And he says, it's, it's not my fight. It's, it's, if two kids are fighting in the playground, if the teacher can't be the one to break up that fight, the kids have to settle this on their own. So Roy kind of can't believe it. And it takes the rest of the episode for him to figure out what that means. And then he kind of through this lesson, he steps up and he ends up taking on the reins of the leader again. And that helps bring this divided locker room uh, together. But that works in real life too. We're actually facing something like this in my practice right now. We have a, a um, you know, we work very hard on culture in our practice. And one thing you learn is you have micro cultures within your organization. So you might have the front desk has their culture, the nurses have their culture, the techs have their culture, the call center has their culture. And with one of our groups, we've, um, we survey our groups on culture every fall. And we found out that one of these groups, their survey levels really, really showed some um, problems with the culture in their, in their group, their section of our work. So we knew we had a problem. So where is the problem? So we we resurveyed them again in a different way to try to figure out where the where the where the problems are, and there's, it's kind of a usual gamut. They they're not satisfied with the communication they're getting. There's some problems with the leadership and the management, and there's some um, 
bullying, gossiping, the old established workers are not treating the new workers very nicely and this and that. And so as a leadership group in our company, this was actually just came down this week, we're trying to determine how do we manage this? And the communication we sent out explained what we're doing and what we're gonna do. And we said, part of it was, look, we can fix the communication, we can fix the management, but this intra-departmental bully stuff, that's on you guys. There's no way we're going to fix this. You guys have to fix this from within. And we we communicated that to them directly in those words. And I don't want to put too much on Ted Lasso, but if I didn't watch this series and write that essay, I don't know if I would have figured that out. I think I would have tried to solve that from leadership. And I think that would have been problematic. Excellent. So we're, we're coming close on time, Dr. Schwartz, but I, I wanted to get to lesson number number 10. Be curious and not judgmental. And in your, your article, you, you have Lasso quoting Walt Whitman. Um, is curiosity necessary for, for being a good position leader? Yeah, you know, I think it is. I think the way it's used in the series, which makes a lot of sense is, and again, it's not a, it's not a new concept. It's, it's don't jump to conclusions, right? So if you, the way I, the way I word it with my son is, uh, who's a teenager, I say, you can usually tell what someone did, but you almost never know why someone did it. But all of us make these assumptions. We're like, oh, he did that because blah, blah, blah. You don't know why he did it. You just know that he did it. And you, half the time, you're not even sure that he did it, you know? So with Ted Lasso, it's um, this concept of um, be curious, not judgmental. So if you see somebody doing something that you don't like or don't understand, don't jump to a conclusion that they're doing it because A, B, and C. You know, they don't like you or they're lazy or they don't care or they're stupid or the usual reasons. Be judgmental, ask them. Be curious rather, don't be judgmental, be curious, ask them, you know, why are you doing it? Why, why did you not do this? Or why did you do this? And oftentimes they'll give you an answer that you haven't thought of and you're like, huh, that makes sense. Now I can see why you did that. You know, that that's fair. I can, now I have a better understanding. But you know, the term jump to conclusions, right? So your, you know, your audience are physician leaders, right? So physicians, we're used to reading, um, you know, peer reviewed literature and studies and things like that. So the study is, you know, the purpose, the method, the results, the conclusions. Well, what is jump to conclusions? It means you don't read the methods and the results and the purpose, you just jump to the conclusions. Well, don't just jump to the conclusion, read the other stuff, because that tells you why they're doing the study, how they did the study. But that's the concept of don't jump to conclusions. You got to do the work on the front end to come up with a conclusion. But being curious is how you come to the proper conclusion. If you just jump to the conclusion, then you skipped all the work. Absolutely. Our, our time's almost done together. I recommend your, your, your article. And this podcast is specifically being designed to drop right at the beginning of season two. And it seems like I should ask you for <laughs> predictions of what you uh, expect Ted Lasso to uh, encounter in season two of the uh, Apple TV series. 
So I've intentionally not read anything about it because some of the stuff is already coming out. So I've intentionally stayed naive on this subject. Um, my hope is we continue to 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 focus on his his struggles and his successes and his failures in in, in leading the team. Um, some of the main plot devices that were evident in, in season one, notably, you know, the reason why he was hired was because of the the owner was trying to spite her ex-husband and that got resolved at the end. Um, I think a lot of season two is going to be more a player driven, you know, how does Roy can't deal with his retirement? How does he like being an ex-player rather than a player? And, and his, his now girlfriend, uh, Keely is going to kind of be tied up in that as well. We know the one thing I do know is there's a, there's a sports psychologist who's brought in. Um, I've seen by one of the commercials that, one of the players keeps kicking the ball over the net instead of into the net. So the sports psychologist is going to be brought in for that. But the, I think the team has to deal with, all right, we're not in the premier league anymore. We're in the second tier league. So, so our identities are tied in with being professional soccer players. What does that mean now? And, and that's the battle that I think Ted Lasso is going to have to get into is if there's a cult, the cultural issue last year was Roy's camp versus Jamie's camp. The cultural issue this year is going to be this sense of we used to be among the best. Now we're among the second best. And if one of Ted's coaching philosophies is I'm trying to develop men to be the best that they can be. What does that mean when you're playing in the second best league? And I think that's I think that's what this season is probably going to focus on is is how does Ted Lasso coach a team full of guys in the second best league who wish that they were still in the first best league? All right, that guess. sounds that sounds like a, Just a guess a good, a good a good prediction. And my guest on Sound Practice has been Dr. Gary Schwartz, who has help this podcast be culturally relevant when it may not have been in the past. So Dr. Schwartz, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, so much fun. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed this. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. Many thanks to Dr. Gary Schwartz for his analysis of Ted Lasso. I hope this helps you prepare for season two. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making sound practice possible. Please join us next time for another new episode of sound practice. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org.